Okay, I'm going to switch over. Good. Well, uh, I got to be honest with you. I uh, have I have enjoyed talking about fear. Uh, I almost skipped the ending, and then the Lord reminded me, "No, you can't do that because it's kind of an important part. It's about fearing the Lord and uh, fearing God without being afraid of Him." Uh, I've had several people talk to me about this in recent times. Uh, Joel even asked me a question early in our relationship about the difference, as he was talking to people, the difference between fearing God and being afraid of Him. And at the time, uh, the, the answer we kind of came up with was that you can tell that uh, the kind of fear that is being called on to fear the Lord draws us to God, and being afraid pushes us away. And I, I didn't I didn't know that was a good answer or a bad answer. It just was the one that kind of came out in our conversation. But the more I thought about it, the more I do think that that's, there's an insight in that that's really, really good. So as I got into studying about fear uh, and talking about it a little bit, if you guys remember, there's this passage in 1 John that says uh, that uh, there is no fear in love and that perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And and the honest truth is that scripture stumbled me a little bit as I was thinking about this issue of fearing God, because the fear the the call in the scripture to fear God has to be a call to mingle fear with love, because God is love, and I didn't really know how to reconcile that and how to think about it, uh, and I'm not 100 percent sure that I still do, but. If you'll walk with me through this, perhaps we can understand that answer. So, um, Ronnie's not here, so it probably won't be a problem. But <laughs> I'm gonna, and I, if you, Ronnie is a very good friend and good member here, and Ronnie loves to ask questions, and that's what these mics are for. But if you'll let me walk through just the scriptural basis before you come up with questions, it'll it'll help a little bit. So, we're going to talk about the last kind of uh, necessary area to understand practically uh, how to deal with fear in our lives, and that is to fear God without being afraid of Him. So this little statement on the side kind of is the where my heart's coming from, and it has to do with Jesus, because what we had talked about in the previous sessions on fear is that Jesus is the end of fear once He's actually present in your life. And a simple illustration of it is the disciples were locked away in a room for fear of the Jews. And when Jesus uh, showed up, they quit being afraid of the Jews and started wondering what was going on about God again. And there's all kinds of instances like that where Jesus himself, Mary was afraid at the tomb that they'd stolen his body, and then when Jesus uh, was there, her fear turned into joy, and so there's just all kinds of stuff like that. But in the larger sense, Jesus came to destroy the fear that paralyzes us and causes us to live in our head and stay away from the Father. And this is something, a lot of times, fear is thought of as an emotion, and there's no doubt that it is. But the fear of the Lord is not an emotion in, the, in its primary sense. Um, and, and the wrong kind of fear is kind of a reaction as opposed to a response to something. So we're going to try to get through that, but I just believe that. I believe that, that that's one of the things that Jesus came to do. Another classic case that would illustrate that is he came to destroy... Uh, the, the work of the devil, and one of the works of the devil was the subjugation to, of all of us to slavery all our lives through the fear of death. And so we really aren't supposed to be afraid of death. Uh, death is not a normal thing, it's not a natural thing, but it doesn't have the power of fear anymore. So let's go on. I wanted to, to look in the scripture where the fear of the Lord uh, came from, 
uh, what it what it meant to fear the Lord from more or less the beginning. And so I, I went back and I found this passage in Deuteronomy, and it's Moses summing up a bunch of stuff. And it's it's the, the only really long sort of dense scripture section we're going to have. Well, there's a bunch of scripture in the PowerPoint, but I'll just read it. It says, "Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you?" But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now I'm going to stop there just for a second. The reason I emphasize that verse there in yellow is because the fear of the Lord here is a, is a mandate being given to the children of Israel in the sense of what does the Lord require of you. And it's directly linked with some things that help explain what it is as opposed to being afraid of God. So the fear of the Lord... Uh, is partnered with or is part and parcel of to walk in all his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, these guys were in a covenant in which this verse 13 also had significant real-time meaning, and that is to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong the heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet uh, on your fa- uh, fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, even you above all the people, as it is in this day. So this part is, a, is, is covenant language, but it's also relational language. And, and Moses was emphasizing the fact that this the point of all of this is the relationship that's down here and the favor that God set upon them. Does that make sense? All right, so the next part of this, this talk is so, or because of that stuff, Circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. Meaning, quit being stubborn. And I don't know what it would have meant to an Israelite to have Moses say, circumcise your heart. Because they were actually familiar with what the real circumcision, the physical circumcision was. But as it turns out, even in this conversation that Moses, or this, 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 uh, message, this speech, this admonition that Moses has given him, the real circumcision has always been a circumcision of heart. It's always been a relational thing. It's not just been a covenant sign. But it's always been for the relationship. Because it says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome, who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. And this led into something that is another part I think, of the concept of fearing the Lord. And it, and it says, so, since God did stuff, you do stuff. He says, so show your love for the alien, for your aliens in the land of Egypt. In other words, God shows his love for the aliens, so you should do the same. And this will make more sense. And then the last part of this section is, you shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and cling to him, and you shall swear by his name. He is your praise, and he is your God, who has done these great and awesome things for which your eyes have seen. So again, fear the Lord of God is linked with serving, clinging to, and swearing by his name. Now, if you can project your mind just a little bit into the New Testament, a little bit into the admonitions of Jesus and so on and so forth, the fear of the Lord can be linked with serving him, Clinging to him strikes me as that passage in John 15 where it says, if you abide in me and my bird abide in you. There's, there's a relational component in this whole thing about the fear of God. Now, for the most part, I don't think people that hang out in any length of time, I don't think they are going to have a hard time. 
being terrified of the Lord. We're not talking about shrinking and, and trembling and hiding away from Him because you're afraid He's going to stomp on you. Because we've otherwise we wouldn't sing "Good Good Father," you know. <laughs> That's one of the worship songs. So, I, I, again, I'm not I'm not worried about not being able to make the case for that. But what I do want us to understand is, I I think we are still vulnerable to thinking of our service for God, the fear of the Lord, our serving for Him, even our holding on to Him, is being something less relational than it is, less intimate, less union, less life together. So that's kind of the, the idea of what I want to do here. So fearing God is loving, honoring, and following Him. And this is just stuff from Deuteronomy. Uh, in the real areas of your life, according to the covenant that you're in. And so what I'd, I'm going to share just a little list here of things that I pulled out of Deuteronomy. And the point of me rehearsing these lists after we looked at those scriptures is I want you to be confident that you are walking a life fearing the Lord, or I want you to be aware of the fact if you're only doing it name only. Because there's no judgment in that, but there's a great loss going on in our lives if we think of this as a doctrinal proposition like we, we think about other stuff. So, Fearing the Lord, according to what Moses was saying to the children of Israel, is to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve him with your whole heart and soul, to stop being stubborn, to covenant with your heart, to do what you see him do, to serve him, to cling to or abide in him, and to swear by and honor his name, and to make him your praise. That was that last one. To make him your praise. Now, I don't know how... This is going to hold up as a definition of the fear of the Lord, but there's no question in my mind and there's no question in Scripture that there's a link there between those things. So I'll leave that up a little bit if you want to jot this down. This same guy, George MacDonald, um, he has clarified for me his beliefs as I read his material uh, about what it takes to know things with God and about God. And it takes doing them with him. He is a, a great explainer of the danger of having propositions in your mind and thinking that agreeing with those propositions gives you the relationship that those propositions are speaking about. And so he says you can learn more by doing what God says once than by kicking around concepts about him forever. <laughs> and uh, and I, I think there's truth to it. Okay? Got those down? We can go back to them, too. All right, so the fear of the Lord is a revealer of the state of our hearts and minds and lives because it's not an external thing only, but it does involve inter external functions. And so I had an illustration come to mind, and you guys can tell me after I give it to you whether it's any good or not. All right, so envision that you are... Um, envision that, that uh, you're involved in this scene. So uh, there's a person, and that person is in my home. And uh, our living room and front door's here, living room's here, and dining room's here. And then we have a hutch in the corner. And that's where we have some stuff, you know, like uh, some of Vicky's uh, silverware and fancy dishes and stuff like that. And so um, anyway, a person's standing there at that drawer and uh, opening it and going through it. And um, it's at night. And there's a sound of the door opening. Okay? If Vicky is the person 
at the drawer. And I'm coming home after a weekend trip away. And she's at that to sort out her stuff so that we can have a nice dinner or we can have a special thing with some friends the next day. Well, understand the emotion. She's going to go, hey, you're home. And she'll probably stop sorting, and she'll come over to me and give me a hug and a kiss, and I'll be glad to be there and all that kind of thing. Okay, And that stirs up a certain kind of emotion. But let's say that it's not Vicky at the drawer. But let's say that it's a, a thief that knew we were gone and came in and was starting to go through that drawer. And so that thief is in there at night in the dark, and the sound of the door opens up. And I step in. It evokes an entirely different emotion. Now, having heard myself say it out loud, it sounds lame as an illustration. But who you are in relationship to the Lord determines the type of fear that you have. Does that make sense? Okay. That's what this fear of the Lord not only does to provoke a life of relationship, but it reveals what the life of relationship is that we have. And I am suggesting that just like the wrath of God that is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness, against uh, men who hold the, the truth, want, seek to hold the truth in unrighteousness, I am suggesting that a look at the fear of the Lord has the capacity to reveal the nature of our relationship with God and the elements of that relationship, like trust and familiarity and honor and all those sorts of things. And I'm not even saying that both kinds of fear can't be present in somebody, but this thought began to help me not freak out over there is no uh, fear in love. Because to the extent that I'm loving the Lord, following the Lord, desiring the Lord's ways as my own, then there's no room for that other kind of fear, the kind of fear that I would hope that the thief had when I came through the door. I know I would have some, so I would hope he did. Uh, but do you see what I'm saying? And, and so I, I, I was thinking back to what George MacDonald said, that you can learn more by doing what God says with him than you can studying it for a month or a year, however long, your whole lifetime. And I'm just thinking, well, maybe that's the way we're going to understand the fear of the Lord is we're going to take all these admonitions that Moses put up in that list and some others that Jesus begins to reveal, and we're going to start doing them. Now, the problem with that is as soon as we go back into the Old Covenant and we go back into admonition by Moses and we say, okay, so we've got to keep his commandments, keep his ways, do all this kind of stuff, we are subject, because of the nature of who we are, to stepping back into kind of a legal, performance-oriented thing that itself doesn't produce relationship. And so, um, I, you know, you can, you can go anywhere on, on YouTube and you can talk uh, to people about fear of the Lord or whatever, and a lot of it is going to be either relegated to a mental concept of reverence, which I don't think serves it effectively. I think I can be reverent or deferential to the Lord without thinking relationally about being with the Lord. And so that's the whole reason I wanted to dig into this, because I think the concept of reverence alone leaves something out of the equation something relational, something visceral, something partnership-wise. But I also think, on the other hand, that if we, if we revert back to the kind of uh, situation where we're talking about just commandments or we're talking about just obeying law or something like that, we lose sight of the fact that this has, from the beginning, been relational. 
Think back about that passage in Deuteronomy. He says, you know, I want you to walk with me. I want you to do this stuff with me. I want you to serve me with your heart and so on and so forth. So let's get into some specifics that I think will uh, speak to the elements of relationship. So was it ever simply just being afraid? You know, I mean, I precursor the answer was saying I don't think so. So here's Psalms 22, 23. Uh, you who fear the Lord, praise him. Now, praising somebody is not the natural reaction to being terrified of them. It's just not. Unless you're like a pagan. And if you live in a pagan religious world, then you have a tendency to define worship based on that other kind of fear. And you end up sacrificing things or sacrificing versions or giving way to false you know, uh, hope of persuading God or appeasing God or something like that. So... Uh, um, you who fear the Lord, praise him. And then it goes, all you descendants to Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. So now we're starting to see, I think, a reverence in action, a reverence that actually has uh, relational teeth to it. And uh, wow, Lord, you're amazing. Now that's not, that's not saying that at a distance. That's saying that up close. That's like, man, I love you. You're amazing. Or Thank you for your glory. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for coming. I've journaled for years and years and years, and almost every page of my journal starts with, uh, partly because I'm a, I, I like some habits anyway, and I don't have very many in my life, uh, Papa, thank you. Father, thank you. Uh, so just gratitude. Praise him. Thank him. Give him glory and stand in awe of him. Uh, the fear of the Lord is a response, too, and it's not a reaction, uh, because a reaction doesn't denote a relationship. I could react when a, a dog jumps up on a fence and barks at me, and it's not my dog, and I don't know it, but I can still have the reaction. But a response is different. A response is something that calculates out of you in, in response to what is being presented or given. It says, so this was it's kind of an illustration, I think, of that. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in his storehouse. So here's a whole bunch of stuff that's being cited. And then the admonition to fear the Lord comes, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. And so there's a deliberateness of thought there. There's a response, not a reaction. Uh, nobody, nobody looks at the uh, clouds or the, uh, the, the sea waves rolling in, in, in flinches like that. I mean, that's, that's not what that brings out of you. It brings out, wow, this is majestic. Or I was up the other morning pretty early and was watching the sunrise and uh, it just was, there, I had a response to it. It was just beautiful. You know, it's like, this is amazing, Lord. So the idea of standing in awe. Here's another one. What are some other manifestations? He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. So trust is a response associated with the fear of the Lord. And, and that totally separates it from the other kind of fear. Because if you're afraid of somebody through violence or through fright or through that kind of thing, trust is the last manifestation that would happen, right? And, and so I think this goes back, Joel, to our answer that the appropriate understanding of the fear of the Lord pulls you in. Trust is one of those things. Whereas the reaction of being afraid would have a tendency to shut you off or pull you back. And so, I know, you know, in some ways this is like really super uh, basic. And, and, uh, but I, I, I think if we're intentional about thinking about it, and then we realize that trust or, or the fear of the Lord 
serves as a measurement for us too, uh, to, to judge ourselves, not in a, a condemning way, not in a negative way, but have I slipped into head knowledge? Have I slipped away from the relationship with God? Because I, I think we all recognize that we can. And so I, I just don't think it was ever uh, being afraid. And here's Psalms 103. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his commandment, remember his precepts, and do them. And so in a lot of settings, like I mentioned earlier, this verse right here, verse 18, could stir up legalistic kind of questions and and disengaged performance oriented questions. But when you talk about this relationship of the loving kindness of the Lord to those who fear him and, and righteousness to children's children, then I think this idea of keeping covenant, remembering his precepts and doing them doesn't have to become legalism for us. So I'm going to take you through a little bit more in-depth study because it would be nuts to talk about the fear of the Lord, what is it, and not at least go through one of the verses in Psalms that says the fear of the Lord is. So <laughs> uh, this is Psalms 119, 9 and 10. And I usually teach out of the New American Standard, and guys are used to that, so I'm going to go in there, but I want to point something out. So uh, Psalms uh, 111, 9 and 10 in the New American Standard says, He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Uh, the reason that his commandments is italicized is because it really is in the New American Standard. And if you know anything about the way the notations work in the New American Standard, italics means that that's a word added for clarity. It's not really in there. And I don't have the skill or the... Uh, I want to take the time quite today to go back and try to exegete the, the thing directly from Hebrews. But the fact of the matter is, if you go and look in a lexicon or you look in an interlineal Bible uh, and it, it, it uses this kind of text, these words here will have uh, the numbers 9999 under them for Strong's numbers, which means that they don't exist. They're added for clarity. So I started looking at a couple others. And if you guys know me, you know that when I try to look for simplicity and clarity, Young's literal translation is one I'll go to. So here's Young's literal. We sometimes call it the Yoda translation because easy to understand, it is not. But <laughs> All right, so redemption he has sent to his people. He has appointed to the age his covenant. Holy and fearful is his name. The beginning of wisdom is fear of Jehovah. Good understanding have all doing them. His praise is standing forever. And so in, in uh, Young's literal notation, these bracketed words are ones that uh, are there to add clarity. And then them is his concession in that translation to his commandments. But it really probably shouldn't be there anyway. So if we were to read Young's in its full unclarified glory. It would be redemption he has sent to his people. He has appointed to the age his covenant, holy and fearful his name, the beginning of wisdom, fear of Jehovah. Good understanding have all doing his praise standing forever. Um, what Young was honest in doing was not inserting a theological or covenant-oriented translation in here. It does not say that uh, good understanding have all who do his commandments. 
Now, if you do his commandments, they may bring you understanding, but that isn't what the Bible says. What the Bible says is that good understanding have all who are doing fear of Jehovah. This doing is applied to this. And it's not separated by inserting the commandments or another teaching kind of block in there. And so this takes a little bit of thinking. Um, it did for me. So I, I pulled up the Revised Standard Version. And it says it this way. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and terrible is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who practice it. So that's their, that's their concession to try grammatically, to tie this back to what it is. Practice what? Practice the fear of the Lord. So here's the thing that made me excited about this passage of Scripture. Is instead of the fear of the Lord being something that rests wholly on my shoulders and wholly in my heart, the fear of the Lord is something that exists. It exists because of God, who, who God is. And I have a chance to do it. I can do the fear of the Lord. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, it didn't to me. <laughs> but, but I started to realize that if I'm thinking about the fear of the Lord as, some, as a certain way that I have to react to God, that is going to put it under some very tight limits and constraints. It's also going to make it incredibly individualistic. But if I, th- I realize that the fear of the Lord is the reaction that w- was spoken of earlier in Psalms by the people of the earth, by the earth itself, the reaction by the people of Israel, the fear of the Lord is actually a doable thing, not just a concept in my head and not just an emotional reaction from my adrenal glands. It is something that I can exercise a choice toward. Okay? You guys are hanging in there pretty good, because I think that's a difficult thing to think through. But uh, just to back up and look at Young's again, if you take the them out, then it's just talking about the beginning of wisdom actually equals, it's the same thing as the fear of Jehovah, and that good understanding have all that are fearing Jehovah, doing that fear. Okay, and that doesn't explain what the fear is, but it, it adds a doing quality to it, which I thought was kind of cool. All right, so it's something we do, not just something that we think about or react or not an emotion that we react to the Lord with. So fearing God was never simply being afraid of him or his power. It has always been trusting and following him. So from the Psalms, we have another list, but it's very similar to that list, and this one is migrating really closely to what we read about with Jesus. You know, we're going to praise him, we're going to stand in awe of him, we're going to trust him. So let's just take those three. That completely allows us to know if we're reacting out of a withdrawing kind of fear, an emotional reactive fear, or if we're responding to God, and, and, and that, is, that is the fear of the Lord because it's eliciting praise from us, it's eliciting trust from us, and it's causing us to stand in awe of who he is and what he does. And then you get down into this bottom three that emerge out of those passages. Keep his commandments or guard his commandments. And I have borrowed a little bit from New Testament language there, because when Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, or uh, keep, it's, it's a word that means guard, like protect, guard a prisoner, for instance, or if you have a treasure, put it in a safe place and hold it to yourself. Don't lose it. Don't let it just dissipate or be taken away. And so the keeping of the covenant, think back to the Deuteronomy thing. Uh, We have a tendency to think that 
keeping in relationship to the Old Testament covenant is, is best expressed as obeying the law. But that isn't what Moses actually said. He said, I want you to walk in his ways. I want you to, to uh, worship him. And so there's a sense in which the covenant that we are in is the covenant that we embrace and we guard, and then we live from that covenant. And that does produce obedience. It does produce work, good work. But it's not a good work for, it's a good work from keeping the covenant, guarding the covenant, making the covenant our own, acknowledging the truth of the fact that um, we're in a covenant. So, And that will come into play in just a minute in the New Testament. Then remembering him, Immediately, my mind ran when I pulled that out of there. To why do we do? Why do we take communion? We remember who Jesus is and what He did. We remember how it applies to us and that we're in it. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of Me, and then do what He's doing. Now, if we, if we were children of Israel back in the day, listening to Moses, we would have had a list of things that we would have carried with us and measured with us in our hearts or perhaps even you know in other ways what Jesus is doing is he's loving us and the command upon which the new covenant is based is love one another as I have loved you in John chapter 13 the command which summed up the old covenant is the one that Jesus taught about when he said there's no such there's no law uh, law against love so all the all the prophet the Old Testament the prophets and everything can be summed up in the law and the prophets can be summed up in in these two commandments: love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. So think with me just for a second. To keep the old covenant was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. To keep the new covenant is to love one another as Jesus loves us. And that's not to, to say loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength isn't important in loving your neighbor. But that's to say that in Jesus, all of that was summed up. The new covenant is the freedom for you and I to walk in our covenant understanding, or, as it said earlier, to circumcise our hearts and stop being stubborn by loving one another. And then, of course, the implications of that are that if you love one another, the world will know that the Father sent me. And the key to unlock all of the world through that covenant and through the fear of the Lord is to love one another. So we'll go on a little bit. So exactly how does a person do the fear of the Lord? And I kind of jumped the gun a little bit. So Jesus was, was uh, introduced several times messianically. And in Isaiah 11, 1 through 3, there is uh, this description of the Messiah. A shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And then look at verse 3. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. So the, 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 the delight of Jesus' life, the characteristic of Jesus' life, is the fear of the Lord. And because Jesus was able to walk as a man, but also walk with integrity. Yes. Hi, guys. Oh, no, no. This is awesome. Do come in. Do come in. We got some more, Richard, coming? 
Oh, okay. They're, they're welcome to come in. I think we got some chairs. Hi, guys. Good morning. Come on in. Come in, come in. Hi. Yeah, come on in. Okay, this makes me want to review everything. <laughs> no, it doesn't. All right, so, uh, yeah, just, just keep funneling folks in, which will be fine. Uh, so this, this introduction to Jesus sums up uh, what we ought to, if we, if we, in other words, if we're going to take this prof, prophecy introducing the Messiah to us, and that turns out to be Jesus, and we're going to take seriously what this is saying, this little thing down here where he emphasizes that his heart, he is going to delight in the fear of the Lord, that should clue us in that we're going to be able to look at Jesus and we're going to see what delighting in the fear of the Lord looks like by virtue of how he lived, right? So let's try. So here in John five seventeen and 19, it says this, But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. Now this is the scenario in John 5 where the Pharisees are really putting the hammer down on Jesus, trying to get him to, uh, to say who he is and what he does. And then finally, when he does say that God is his father prior to this thing, uh, they, they get all mad at him and they start accusing him. Well, you know, you're, you're blaspheming because you're making yourself equal with God. And he says, well, uh, my father is working until now and I myself am working. And then they come back to him and they harass him some more uh, about that issue of claiming equality with God. And it says, therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. And so you might go, so what does that have to do with delighting in the Lord? Well, this is an example of how we fear the Lord. This is an example of how Jesus feared the Lord, his father. Can you imagine Jesus ever once having a moment of terror? Hi, you guys. Come on in. It's uh, totally good. Um, can you ever once, if you think about it and just quietly think, imagine Jesus thinking of his father and having a fearful emotional reaction? There's no possible way. Yeah, come on in. That's good. We're different here, and uh, so don't worry. We're glad you guys are here, by the way. We're really excited and honored. Uh, so if, if that's the case, then we should never expect, and this is where it's starting to now make some sense to me on the idea that there's no such thing as, as uh, fear in love. We should never expect our fear of, of the Lord to produce a sense of terror and shrinking back. God even says that he's not pleased with people who shrink back and that he didn't give us a spirit of timidity, Paul teaches, uh, but of love and a sound mind. And, uh, and so this idea of our relationship with God, our exposure to God, our coming to God in the fear of the Lord, and I don't think we're exempted from fearing the Lord, but I think it's like this. We simply just learn to live like Jesus did. And so one of the great manifestations of his fear of the Lord is Jesus never interpreted a situation around him without thinking about what the Father was doing, without seeing what the Father was doing and hearing what he was saying. Uh, we live in our heads, and that was the very first thing I said, right? That the fear of the Lord helps us not live in our heads and stay away from our relationship with God. 
And I, I will confess before you that this is a very challenging teaching for me personally because I am more than capable in almost any circumstance of trying to live in my head and figure it out. And I and it sounds so it sounds so noble and spiritual when we do it, at least when I do it, because I'll go, well what would what would God want in this situation? What would Jesus do? You remember those bracelets and that sounds so I mean, like, how could that be wrong? But if, what's your name, sir? Ed. If, uh, if Ed is sitting right here in front of me and something comes up that Ed and I need to do, wouldn't it be stupid and kind of insulting and dehumanizing for me to sit here and go, I wonder, how should we do this? How would Ed like to have this done? Oh, oh, you're here. I guess I could just ask you if we're going to do it. But think of, the, think of the times in your Christian experience, in your Christian life, in your walk with God, where you got stuck in, in a starting position and you began to labor trying to figure out how to do something so God would be pleased with it. Instead of simply asking God, what are you doing? Can I do it with you? So the fear of the Lord opens up our tendency to, to try to serve the Lord from a distance, to try to please the Lord from the outside, when all the while the gospel is about being invited inside. Jesus says in one of our favorite verses here in Joyland, in um, John fourteen twenty, that in that day, and, and if you read that passage he's talking about after the Holy Spirit's been poured out and God's been revealed through the Spirit and all this kind of stuff, he's saying in that day you will know that I am in my Father. And it's my experience with Christian brothers and sisters all over the world that we, none of us argue with that. We all believe that Jesus is in his Father. But in the very, with the same, literally the same inhale and exhale through the vocal cords, he says, and you're in me and I'm in you. And I don't know very many Christians who don't struggle quite a bit actually believing that that is as true as the fact that Jesus is in the Father. And it's the fear of the Lord as something to do, not something to think about and not something to react about. It's the fear of the Lord is something to do that begins to open up the reality of us literally being in Jesus and him literally being in us. And, and, and so that means that where Jesus is, we are. So now Paul makes sense when he said, you're seated in heavenly places with Christ. And anytime we confront something, he's confronting it with us if he's in us. And so we're never alone. We're never facing a disaster. We're never facing that trouble alone. Come on in. <laughs> it's okay. We got some chairs. We're excited you guys are here. Howdy. Say a hand here. What's your name? I'm Sharon. My mother's just in the bathroom. Oh, excellent. Okay, good deal. Good. Glad you're here. Thank you guys so much for coming. Yes, so sir. something you said so far that really kind of strikes me and changes the way I'm thinking about this is um, it's, I think when we hear about fearing the Lord, we think of God the Father. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about fearing Jesus, that elicits a whole different response. Yeah. It's a completely different kind of thought process, I think. Yeah. 
It does. There's a, a scripture that I didn't include in the notes, but it was about, if you remember in Revelation, I think it's Revelation chapter 16, it's when the last of the plagues are coming and the people have all fled and they're living in caves. And, and it says they cry out for the rocks to, to fall on them and to, to hide them from the fear of, of God and the wrath of the Lamb. And so, but again, if it's not that adrenaline-fueled emotional response, then it's, uh, then it's something entirely different. And I think the difference is to step into, to fear, to honor. What are you doing? I'll do it with you. What are you doing? I'll say yes. What are you commanding? Calling. I'll say yes. And by the way, for those of you that are uh, just here visiting or new, it's question time now. So, <laughs> yeah, Richard. Uh, when I uh, first came to Christ, um, I had this separation from God and Jesus, mm-hmm. which which caused me to do a lot of performance. And then especially the scripture that says, work your salvation out in fear and trembling. Yeah. That scared the hell out of me. Yeah. yeah. And I and I didn't even know how to... I was constantly trying to figure out what am I supposed to do in order to keep this fear from coming at me because of my wrong concept of right. what the fear was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it's one of the great consequences of that kind of thinking, that this kind of thinking, if we can work it into our lives, will change, is that you're, it's inevitable that you've got God at a distance trying to evaluate what's going to make him happy. But once you realize that he already is happy, and, and, and he may be grieved over certain things or stuff like that, but we really don't have the control to take God's most fundamental attributes of love, joy, peace, all that kind of stuff. We, don't, we can't take that away from him. He has that whether we're experiencing it or not. So that's there for us. And the reverence that we use, the fear that we adopt as we come to the Lord, brings us into that relationship and into the truth of that thing. Like your God is more pleased with you than you know. He's more happy about you than you know. He really is. And and uh, does he see the things that are dumb in us? Well, he does. But one of my favorite, uh, my favorite, honestly, things in the Bible is if you go back and read in Genesis when uh, the Lord came to Abraham and promised him a son and uh, all this kind of stuff. Sarah, if you remember, was in the tent laughing, disbelieving, and mocking. But if you go to Hebrews in chapter 11 and you read about the story of Sarah, it's, it's edited down. It's edited down, and it says that Sarah believed God and had a child. And I think that that is an example of how God sees things. Is, And I don't just think it because I want to be like Pollyanna, you know. I, I think it because the, the nature of the New Covenant is summed up in Hebrews chapter 8 by saying, I will have mercy on your transgressions and your sins I will remember no more. And I actually know people who argue with God about whether he has the right to not remember our sins anymore. And that seems like a really silly thing to do. And I don't think that God is not remembering them because he's having a serious bout of senility. I think it's because the way he is and the way the covenant is structured is that he does not need to concern himself with those things because Jesus has dealt with them. One of the things that George MacDonald said as part of his telling what he believes, he said he believed that Jesus made himself vulnerable on the cross so that the waves of sin and darkness could roll over him and not rebound. 
just be destroyed, just be absorbed, just be taken in. That's a powerful picture of what went on on the cross. And it's substantiated by what Jesus said in John chapter 12, that when I am lifted up, I'll draw to myself. Sin didn't escape the cross. Jesus took it in. And therefore, the Father doesn't need to be overly concerned about our sins. And so to interpret this idea of walking in his ways and following his commandments as some legalistic thing where we've got to have that transaction list and check it all off is probably not the truth. Joel. Thank you very much. I I actually don't have a question. Hmm. I just have something to to say from your teaching today. Uh, Church, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frighten us. We always ask ourselves, who are we to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? I want to ask a question. Actually, who are you not to be all those? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We are born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is not just in some of us. It is in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Amen. Thank you very much. Amen. It's a quote. Is that a quote from uh, Nelson Mandela? Yes. Yeah. 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 That was that was uh, that's powerful. That's powerful. And I think, see, that's the thing that Jesus did. Um, not everything Jesus did needs to only be an example, but the example of him walking in the ways of his father, and 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 in such fearing the Lord that way. I think that's a big part of it. He did it. And showed us the way. He did his own words. After his resurrection, he met with his disciples and he said, As the Father sent me, so send I you. So to me, the the fear of the Lord provokes me to think that I actually can have a lifestyle like Jesus does. And that you can have a lifestyle like Jesus does. Which is when he says, I only do the things I see the Father doing. Or, uh, you know, these words are not my own, they're the Father working in me. In John 10, he again, confronted by who he was, If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father. Uh, This is the precursor to that statement that I just mentioned in John 14, 20. I went through a season in my life where um, the only kind of works that I anticipated, we were really focused on on uh, some charismatic stuff like healing and things like that, which I still um, pray for and, and uh, am frustrated when nothing happens, like when I prayed for my wife this morning. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, the fundamental work, all of those works are contained within the compassion and love that Jesus had for us and that we're to have for one another. So regardless of what your theological belief is or your experience is with things like uh, you know, uh, evangelism or healing or anything like that. There's nobody here in the room that can't comprehend what it means to love somebody the way you've been loved. 
And even an imperfect effort at that is walking in his ways and demonstrating the fear of the Lord. Just love somebody when you have a chance. And people are great at giving you an opportunity to love them in a, in a situation where it doesn't come naturally. So one of the ways to redeem just how weird we are is to learn to love one another. So Jesus is both the covenant and the person in whom we can fear God. And that's uh, interesting, Sterling. It deserves more development, more thought, the idea of uh, associating the fear of God with Jesus. Yes? Okay. Um, So Jesus revealed our Father as he lived and as he lives in us. And so that's an important point. Think about that. Yes? Hey, Jeremy and Amy. What do you guys got? Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, I keep having the word uh, consider or consideration come to my mind when I think about uh, this fear. Obviously, our society has defined the word fear probably for us, and it's pretty ingrained. Mm-hmm. But is is the word consider or consideration a poor substitute uh, for what we're talking about here, or is, is it there? Is there some appropriateness? No, and uh, man. If we'd coached that comment, it couldn't have been better because there was something I wanted to say that I forgot, and I do think it is, but there's another word that kind of goes with consider. Uh, Tim, what's that passage in uh, in Proverbs? Okay, so Proverbs 3.5. You guys probably couldn't hear that. Uh, Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. Consider is the same sort of word. It means, what that means, that idea of acknowledging God, means to consider that God is present. And so again, that psalm and this idea of the fear of the Lord is a big provoker of being conscious of the relationship in and with Jesus. And so to fear the Lord is to acknowledge that. Uh, And so think about... Even think about trying to live a more holy life. The fear of the Lord does not provoke that through uh, through a, a withdrawal and a, and a, and a, a reject, repulsion kind of fear or a sense of being rejected kind of fear. The fear of the Lord provokes living a holy life by considering that God is really, really <laughs> with us in this situation. That we don't make financial decisions. We don't make relational decisions. We don't make business decisions or family decisions in a vacuum we make them with the presence of the lord in and with us and and he sees all these things and his grace is constantly available to that access so yeah i think consider is a powerful word it's a powerful concept about the fear of the lord um imagine if you're tempted to do something that you simply know you shouldn't do there's a certain kind of motivation to not do it because it's, it violates a rule or a moral code. There's a whole other thing not to do it when you know that Jesus is sitting right there with you. <laughs> and one of the things that I've found to help me overcome temptation is to acknowledge, consider, and then there is the right kind of, wow, I don't want to do this with you. You know, am I going to ask you, Lord, to... Uh, Sit here and help me cheat on my taxes? I mean, I can make, honestly, and I have a couple times in my life, uh, I can make excuses 
for uh, for breaking rules. I can. But those turn out pretty hollow when I say, well, Lord, how would you like to help me skirt what I'm supposed to do here? It just doesn't work. I mean, it doesn't work. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I think acknowledge his ways, consider... Um, and, and especially if it's a doable thing, if it's not just an abstract concept, Jeremy, if it's a doable thing, then considering is, is totally it. Think about, for instance, the disciples when they walked by the Samaritan village that rejected Jesus. And they said, Lord, should we call down fire on them? <laughs> well, no. But God didn't like freak out because they asked the question. He just says, you don't know what spirit you're from. And the fear of the Lord, I think, is the kind of thing that helps govern that. Bless you guys. Thanks for coming. Dennis. One of the things that I think might help everybody, and it helped me a great deal in understanding fear, is to know the Hebrew word for fear, which is yara in English, mm-hmm. Y-A-R-A. And what that means, it's a root word that means to flow like a river or a stream. And what it implies in Hebrew thought is that if you saw a lion or a bear, imagine the flowing of emotions that would come out of you, the fright, the being scared. Okay, okay. But now, what if somebody in high authority the king, the president, the queen, or Jesus walked in the room, what would that feeling of emotion be? Yeah. Extreme awe, yeah. an awareness of who so that person has, is. What, what, what flows out of you is what's What flows out of you yeah. is the fear. And it's, it's, we understand it wrong because of our Western thinking. Yeah. In the Hebrew mind, it was a flowing of emotion depending on whether it was something bad or something, or something good. really good. Right. Cool. Cool. Good. Good. Yeah, there's only a couple words, uh, yare and yira, and um, there. You know, sometimes I really like to have a lot of help from the language. I didn't get as much from fear. Yes, I think it's important also to teach our children this uh, teaching today. I was raised in a very different setting in an old Dutch reform church with parents from the old world. Mm -hmm. And when I was a young child, I often heard, you know, and I did something wrong. My mother, with her steel blue eyes, would point her finger and say, God is going to get you for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Now that's called fear of the Lord. It is. You're right. And, 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 and to open up with our children and let them start from an early age. And I'll tell you, not only just our children, but people who are newly come to the Lord and newly thinking about this, we don't want to instill in them that God's basic objective is to keep them in a state of terrified obedience. Because that, that is not it. He wants to be in relationship. That's good. That's good. That's very good. All right, so now Jesus has revealed that we stand in awe of his love, that we trust him. He asks us to guard his commandments and covenant words, to remember his death, to do what Jesus does, which is love like he's loving. It's really pretty pretty basic that way, pretty simple. Now, everybody's going to have a groan because look what I put in here. Oh, no, this is fearing God with Jesus. I have bonus material. That's just to make a joke for all the Joyland people. <laughs> I will go through one slide or two. Watch. You can tell that we're not making this up and we're not on the wrong page because almost every time, if you get a concordance and you you look up the words, do not be afraid, and watch how many times Jesus responded that way to people. Fear is not what, uh, unfortunately, 
primarily what your mom was trying to get you to, to feel. Uh, the fear of the Lord. It primarily, Jesus is not trafficking in fear. He's basically saying, don't be afraid. Um, this is at the Sermon on the Mount. After the Father finally spoke, the disciples all hit the floor, and they were terrified, and Jesus got up and said, don't be afraid. Next one, uh, Mary and the others were at the tomb. They left with fear and great joy, and when they bumped into Jesus, his first words were, don't be afraid. They came uh, to the synagogue official. This is Jairus, remember? And before Jesus got there, he got word that his daughter was dead. And what Jesus said was, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. So my point, and there's a whole bunch of other scriptures like that. My point uh, is, there we go. My point is, the fear of the Lord is a doable thing, but it's designed to be done with God with him in your heart, with you and him before the Father. And so uh, don't be afraid of the fear of the Lord. (laughs) Uh, And I'm not saying you won't have that flow, Dennis, of of a typical fear reaction, but it should never. I mean, there were those. There are other scriptures. For instance, John, when he saw Jesus with eyes of fire and the voice of many waters and a sword and everything, in Revelation, he fell on the ground as though dead, and Jesus picked him up, and the first thing he said is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And, uh, uh, yeah, it, it, it exists. It, it does. Uh, but what I'm saying is that Jesus' basic mission is to, when we react that way, and it is going to be inevitable to react that way. We had a conversation three weeks ago or so that if, if the Lord were to manifest in this room right now, there would be some fear experienced. I mean, if he'd like showed up, you know, like he did in that, in that room, there would be some fear. But his role, his purpose, would be to lift us out of that fear into relationship, out of that fear into trust, out of that fear into, hey, I want to explain to you a new dimension of my way of walking. So I think that that's uh, all I got for, for fear. We're trying, uh, for those of you that are visiting, we're, we're trying to apply the things we've learned about Jesus and about Scripture We're trying to apply that to practical elements of our life. And uh, so fear was the first one we've tackled. And this is wrapping up our fear thing. Next uh, week, in case any of you want to be enticed back to a a juicy topic, we're going to be uh, starting to look at the sovereignty of God and see if we're thinking of it properly, according to the way the Scripture talks. But uh, anyway, um, let's just close in prayer for a second. Father, thank you for inviting us into your life. Thank you for reestablishing your role as our Father. It's incredible to me just thinking about uh, when you were there and the Pharisees and the religious rulers of the day were arguing and plotting to kill you, it was because you called God your Father. It wasn't because of the miracles you did. They didn't have any idea of what you were actually about to do. It was just because, with authority, you called God your Father. They had a reverence for the Lord, but it wasn't true, and it wasn't honest. And I think one of the characteristics, Lord, is that they could control it. It was their reverence. We want to give ourselves to who you are, and we want to see ourselves be lifted out of our place of understanding and being in the limitations of what we determined to be holy. And righteous, and we want to be drawn up into you. We want to love as you love us. 
We want to see people as you see them. We want to understand your ways and explore new ones as you open the door to us. And so, Lord, like George MacDonald would say, we can learn more by doing what you say than by thinking about who you are. And so I ask that you would lead each of us in this room to embrace and experience an act of fearing you by stepping out in some area that you've been calling us to and we haven't said yes yet. And then I just bless all of you in Jesus' name with the discovery of his presence in your life in that place. Amen.